This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Oftentimes, I would walk from where I lived in Brooklyn in Port Green all the way across the Manhattan Bridge into Chinatown and have like a dollar noodles and a dollar chicken wings because I had like two dollars in my pocket and walk back home. That was artist Micheline Thomas talking about the years she struggled to earn enough money to allow her to make art. Those years are behind her. Today, she is renowned and collected throughout the world. I'm Milan Revere, and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. Micheline Thomas has been an art star since 2012, when she showed her vibrant paintings of Black women at the Institute of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles and the Brooklyn Museum. In the decades since, her work has been purchased by institutions ranging from the Museum of Modern Art to the Guggenheim, from the Whitney to the Studio Museum in Harlem, and from museums in Boston, Chicago, Tokyo, and more. In various mediums, her work focuses on Black women and perceptions of beauty and culture. Ultimately, says the New York Times, it's about the notion that art can create change. Listen and learn why Micheline Thomas is one of Seneca's 100 women to hear. I'm speaking today to artist Micheline Thomas. Micheline, it is so great to have you with us for this conversation. Thank you. It's so great to be here. I I'm glad to and honored to speak with you today. Well, you're an artist who works in a number of mediums, painting, video, photography, and so much more. 
And your artwork is vibrant, uh, mixing in references to both history and pop culture and even including elements like rhinestones. So what do you want people to experience when they are looking at your great work? I want people to experience everything. (laughs) Well, what do you want them to take away and remember afterwards? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, I guess I intend for viewers to understand through my work, um, the power, beauty, and agency of Black women, such as the notions um, that rightfully include women of color and many other women from various bodies, body types, and sizes that they can reflect upon and exude a sense of validation. My work is about the celebration of Black women's agency that has always existed in society, you know, and we have always managed as people to celebrate ourselves despite limitation. You know, Black women's beauty from pageants to hair and cosmetics like Madam C.J. Walker, in most cases, the facts and exposure has been marginalized and pushed to the peripheral. So I guess in my work, I want viewers to bring their own personal experience and perspectives from their own narrative and journey, but also it's my personal life experience will influence their view of my art by how I extend it and make it. And that will speak to a deeper level. And it's about celebrating all of these aspects. I want my work to be powerful, impactful, thought-provoking, and joyful. And in that, I hope people, um, when they're standing in front of it, that it exudes that. And that's what they take away from it, the impetus that I put in it when I'm making it. Well, it's obviously uh, attracted a lot of attention and a lot of a great uh, acclamation for it. You've won numerous awards. Uh, You've been shown in major museums and galleries around the world. And I wonder, growing up in New Jersey, as you did, what was your childhood like? We're always interested in how one was influenced to be what they turn out to be in their professional careers. Did your mother have a great influence? Mothers often do. Yes. My mother had an incredible influence on my journey as an artist. Despite growing up in New Jersey and some areas, I grew up in Camden, New Jersey, not a very affluent financially, but affluent in culture. My grandparents, my aunts and uncles were very into music. They were all part of the the church choir. They were very sort of religious. But aside from religion being sort of the center of the household, music was always around in the house. And fashion was always, people were very fashionable. And, you know, so as a kid, I sort of, I I watched that and I was exposed to that. But um, my mother, you know, she worked hard making sure my brother and I had opportunities and exposed us to other experiences outside of our immediate environment. She exposed us to Buddhism, art, and theater. As a child growing up, she would put my brother and I into various art programs. I went to um, after school programs at Newark Museum in Newark, New Jersey. After moving from Camden, we resided in Newark. And um, that was like really transformative for me as a kid. Um, Being able to see art within the community from local artists and national artists at the museum at the after school made a huge impression on me um, as a kid. And 
you know, seeing art on that caliber. Um, you know, and although my mother had her struggles and she was one who, like many, uh, you know, black women and men in our country through struggle in, in the environment, she fell into drugs that were in, in, inescapable to her personal choices. She protected me and made me understand my worth and my beauty as a young woman and provided me the agency and access to become the artist that I am today. Beautiful. Can you remember when you wanted to be an artist? I mean, was it in in doing all of those wonderful projects your mom exposed you to? And who were the artists you wanted to emulate? You know, growing up and seeing some of the art in museums, um, it wasn't until actually, I guess I was living in Portland, Oregon, and um, I always made art, but, you know, as a young African-American woman in America, I always felt that I had a huge responsibility to have a career that was going to financial stabilize sort of my trajectory in life. And art was not at the a top priority for those choices. So I was really leaning towards becoming a lawyer. And that was my focus. And that was my journey. And so I was living in Portland, Oregon, and I was really surrounded by amazing artists, um, an artist named Patrick Abbey, you know, my friend Malia, and then musician Thomas Lauderdale from Pink Martini. There was a great energy around that. And one of my best friends at the time, Christopher Stark, you know, he and I went to the Portland Art Museum. And I have to say, when I stepped into that art museum, I saw the Kitchen Table series by Carrie Mae Weems. Mm. That exhibition was so pivotal and early formation of my practice. Um, and it was among the first times in my life at that particular point that I had seen a contemporary female artist's work in a museum. That series of work inspired me to focus on, you know, a strong body of work on my own, of my own merit at the time. So I remember right after museum, I had just before leaving purchased a stack of her postcards. And I actually have that stack of postcards to this day. And I went home with my oil pastels after stopping at the art supply store oil pastels and some Reeves BFK paper. I've remembered so vividly walking back to my studio apartment on Northwest 21st Lovejoy. (laughs) And I started making these oil pastel drawings based on Carrie Mae Weems' kitchen table series uh, photograph, Mirror, Mirror. And it's about the woman looking into the mirror and seeing herself, but also seeing the image of a white woman. And it really sort of struck a chord in sort of my life and impacted me in a way that really resonated so deeply enough to make me think, I want to be the type of person in the world that makes images like this that inspire people. (laughs) And so from that point, you know, I started looking at artists like uh, Faith Ringgold, Jacob Lawrence, Ramir Bearden, and just really looking at how they use their own stories and 
looking at Black America and using them as sort of uh, starting points for uh, creating change within sort of conversation of art, um, of how you can take your personal experience and you can create a narrative for people to see the world and whether that's a social political narrative or whether that's a personal narrative. That gave me the platform of understanding that I can use representations of Black life, Black culture, and Black joy as a way of resonating within my own practice or guiding my practice to create a narrative and journey about the Black experience. So it's more about that. And so those were the people who were very pivotal in my career early on. And what kind of obstacles did you face? Because, you know, becoming a professional artist is often just a tremendous struggle. When did you know you could make a living at this and and be a success? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Were there obstacles and struggles um, becoming (laughs) a professional artist? Absolutely. Um, My journey is so wild. I worked for many years prior to this making the decision that I was going to become financially supportive of my art practice. I worked as a retail worker for many years. I was a manager at a retail store. And simultaneously, I also worked as a house cleaner. (laughs) Because I remember reading a statement from Faith Ringel, and she stated in one of her quotes that as an artist, you should have a job that you can walk away from. And so I knew that I wanted to have sort of particular jobs that did not uh, um, consume my creative time in the studio. So I was always taking uh, non-artistic professions that allowed me to make the money that I needed to make for my art supplies, pay my studio rent, and pay my home rent. Those were the three main criterias for me. And I often, through the struggle, I had to, you know, my one of my first studio, the skylight leaked, you know, <laughs> and not to be very crass, I had no bathroom. So the person I was sharing my studio with, we were, you know, urinating in mason jars oh my goodness. <laughs> because there was no toilet or bathroom that we could go to. Um, we often pulled together our um, weekly income and paychecks to uh have meals and cocktails or help each other with their art supplies. And, you know, oftentimes I would walk from where I lived in Brooklyn and Fort Greene all the way across the Manhattan Bridge into Chinatown and have like a dollar noodles and a dollar chicken wings because I had like $2 in my pocket and walk back home. So I had a very meager sort of way of Um, saving my money because it was more about me, that desire to make sure I had enough money for my supplies. And I didn't have, I wasn't the type of uh, artist who had family to fall back on financially. So I had to really learn how to budget myself um, with paying for the necessities that I needed to, to live and survive, but also paying for my production supplies that I needed to make the work. And I can make a living at this. When did I decide I can make a living at this? I think it was 
when I had my first show um, at Rona Hoffman Gallery, and that was one of the turning points um, in 2006. And at that time, my work, my work was just starting to be recognized. There was some support from the Studio Museum. I had the artist in residency there. So there was some interest from collectors. And I just remember when I first sold my first painting, it was probably the most money I ever had in my life. And I knew that I wanted to use that money as an investment in myself. And what did that mean for me to invest in myself? How do I take sort of this sum, which at that time was a large sum, was like, I think my first check of like $30,000 for, you know, a series of work. And so I invested in my studio by prepaying six months ahead of time. I invested in like supplies so that way I didn't have to worry about the times where I had low income. So it was really thinking and budgeting myself out anywhere from three to six months. And if I could do that, I would push it out from six months to a year. And then after that year, I realized that I can really financially support myself on my art if I managed it correctly. And so before I knew it, it was from 2006, it was 2009, and then I was having another solo show and I hadn't worked for anyone else for three years. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic. 
treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. We know that the art world is a pretty exclusive club. Nicolene, why is it important that we see work by women artists like yourself, that we get a a woman's point of view, so to speak? I think it's important that we get a woman's point of view, especially seeing the work by women in institutions and museums and just global art spaces. It's important to have women tell their own stories. Otherwise, they are left to being misrepresented by male artists. And the narrative is from that point of view. Um, It's very important that everyone be given the ability to tell their own story and their own history. And I think as women and artists of color, we have been given a, a very small platform or plot of the stake. And now that there's more visibility around the exposure of women artists and people of color that are exhibiting and showing, you can look at the market now that you see a lot of us represented, you see a lot of us exhibiting, but there's still a shortage of the higher recognition when it comes to um, the price point of the artist's work. And also the investment in artists like myself, women, and a person of color. Because oftentimes when it comes to projects for uh, artists like myself in museums, we're not considered with the big budgets. (laughs) We're giving meager budgets. We're not giving the same platform or the same viable um, financial sort of regard for our projects when they consider us for exhibitions. And oftentimes the treatment of female artists within the art world itself and the institution creates barriers for us to push forward. And I think until we have more people of color and more women in positions of, you know, making some of the important determinant factors of who's showing and who's being seen, the needle will be shifted just slightly as it has. And yes, there has been changes in the art world, but I think we still have a long way to go. I think we still have a lot of cleanup to do when it comes to the disparity of the price point of artists and no one's turning up their nose or sort of like getting a little uncomfortable at a price point of a female artist versus a male artist are not feeling like they're not worth the same value, which they are. 
I think it is changing. The conversation has changed. I noticed the past five years, even in major museums, institutions like the Guggenheim and MoMA, they're realizing that throughout their historical collection of art, um, that there's been some gaps and there is a void. There's a space that's missing in conversation when it comes to artists of color and women. And so (laughs) they are now um, starting to create space and exhibitions around the idea of knowing that that void needs to be filled because there's you can't tell the full history around art and contemporary art, art historical lineage itself without adding the other conversations that are around those genres. And so I think, you know, our entire society and globally and nationally is recognizing in all fields, (laughs) creative fields and non-creative fields, the importance of representation and the value of that as well. Well, that's so well said, and you have certainly made uh, your contribution uh, to bridging that gap. You also co-founded Du Femme Noir. It's a platform created to bring more inclusivity and opportunity to the art community. Can you tell us about how that works and, and what your intention was in doing that? I think one of our intentions with Du Femme Noir, it's an amazing platform that I co-founded with myself and my partner, Raquel Chevremont. I think we like to look at it as us bringing our respective experiences within the art world and around that together so that we may be able to help others navigate this space that is somewhat challenging. They don't teach the business of art in schools. That's not something like other professions where you learn or you do internships or you have a curriculum that's around the business of your career and how to foster that. That's not something that's taught. And even the the most uh, recognized art school like Yale University, they don't provide that type of support. So oftentimes, artists like myself and others, once they go through the process of their two-year program, they're out there to just figure it out on their own. (laughs) There's no a rule book. There's no ways of knowing. You're kind of looking to mentors and others and through some conversation, you figure it out or you're, you're guessing. You're trying or you're depending on the market of the galleries to dictate or to guide you. And so our platform aims to push specifically artists of color and women Um, to greater prominence in the art world by curating shows, securing funding, and working with them to provide guidance around their careers and opportunities. And we've had the chance to work with many artists curating shows at Volta. We're about to curate another show at the Parish Art Museum this May. We've actually co-founded and supported um, artists like Kia LaBeja for her performance with Performa. We also, with brands on merchandise, we collaborate and we also do some editorial work and features, but we also, I like to do a lot of community outreach via the Artist Plate project that we did with Coalition for the Homeless, a project that raised $1.5 million in 2021. And so for us, it's really about 
establishing and creating agency within our own community and starting where we are and utilizing our resource and our access within our resource and our network to provide and give back and reach back and have a hand out so we can support um, emergent artists because that allows artists who are struggling to just have a glimpse of faith and hope that there are ways of navigating towards these challenges so you don't throw in a towel. Because there were situations that I've encountered throughout my my journey that were very difficult. And there were plenty of times where I thought of like, this is not for me because I didn't have the, the guidance. But with faith and belief in myself and through conversation with mentors and asking lots of questions and doing some of the research and looking at business of how to invest in myself, invest in my studio, invest in knowing that I'm no longer just an artist making work in a garage. I have assistants, I have a studio manager, so I'm running a business. So we're running small businesses. And so the fact that our studios are like small businesses, that comes with, you know, a whole other set of parameters that you have to understand. Because just as you're the creative or art director or the creative person and making the work, now you have to manage, <laughs> you know, not only your studio, but all of the other aspects that it that comes with running a small business. And that's unfortunately, like I stated, something they don't provide us through our education. And so for myself, I think it's just really important to speak to some of the emerging artists and talk to them about particular contracts that they may have problems with, things and deals that they're dealing with with their galleries. Oftentimes they think they have to sign contracts when they really don't when they're being represented by a gallery, there's a lot of misconceptions in the art world when it comes to embarking on this new territory for, you know, students that are graduating. And so that's what Diffim Norris is. It's myself, Raquel Chevremont coming together with our experiences and, and really providing the possibility for artists to continue their practices. Well, it's wonderful to hear you describe all the ways that emerging artists need to be supported. And that's exactly what your platform is doing. We're just about out of time, Micheline, but let me ask you one final question, which is, you know, given all that's going on in the world right now, it's a pretty tough, discouraging time. What makes you optimistic and what gives you hope? Yeah, I woke up this morning and I <laughs> woke up and started like watching CNN and then starting reading on my phone, everything that's going on in the world and specifically, you know, in Ukraine. And it just, it was really sad now that there's another layer to this madness where, you know, um, people of color and Africans and Ukraine are having trouble at the border of leaving and how they're being, some of them are being attacked by some of even the civilians and, you know, the Ukraine military and being pushed aside and not having the same priority of trying to leave into other countries and territories. So I just started thinking like for myself, how to be an active participant in supporting 
And so just immediately started looking for organizations to support specific to what's happening on the ground for people that are need, whether it's Red Cross or whatever it may be. But what makes me optimistic is being clued in and just being aware of what's going on. And also within my community, talking about these things and sharing about ways in which I could support and seeing others supporting and just having it be an ongoing conversation of how we all, in the end, we all want peace and happiness, but how can we attain that together as a community? So through conversation, it makes me optimistic because once we stop having conversations and stop having tolerance and stop listening to others and trying to forge ideas and come together or converge and, and, and move forward, then I think there's a glimpse in my, my heart and, and my mind where I, I get a little discouraged. But I, I try, I'd like to think that I'm a very optimistic person and have faith that we, too, as a global citizen, as a global nation, that we will come together as people and support Ukraine. Because we must. We have to. We have to, as people, stand up and support other people when they're being bullied, when they're being attacked, when their lives are at risk. Because it can easily happen to us, um, even though it is afar and it's at a distance. So for me, it's, it's really about um, participating and just being very, very present and, and learning, trying to learn as much as possible so that I'm making the right decisions uh, for myself, my family, and the people within my network and circle. It's at times loss of words because it's just really devastating to see and to for us to be dealing with on the other side of us all feeling as though we're all going back to normalcy due to the pandemic COVID. So it's another battle but I believe that we will we will come through this in a positive way. Well, on that hopeful note, thank you so much for being with us. Nicolene Thomas, artist extraordinaire, who's paying it forward. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I appreciate your time. How wonderful to talk to Nicolene Thomas. Her amazing work shows how art can shape our world and shift our perspective. Here are three things I took from that conversation. First, never underestimate a mother's influence. Recalling her New Jersey childhood, Micheline says that her mother exposed Micheline and her brother to a wide range of ideas and to museums and after-school programs. As Micheline says, her childhood was affluent, not in money, but in culture. Second, Micheline beautifully makes the point about why all women's voices need to be heard, including in art. It's important to have women tell their own stories, she says. Otherwise, those stories will be told from someone else's point of view. Finally, let us open our eyes to what Micheline Thomas reveals in her art, the strength, beauty, and agency of Black women. And as we experience her work, 
we can let ourselves be moved by their power, impact, and joy. Tune in next week to hear about our next featured woman and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Have a great day. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Hey, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable.